Welcome to the Turning Point Podcast. I'm your host, Marita Espada, where I speak with people from all walks of life as we discuss ambition, purpose, mental health, and the sweet balance between it all. My guest today is Peter Mutabasi. He's an entrepreneur and international advocate for children and the founder of Now I Am Known, a corporation that supplies resources that encourage and affirm children. A single father of six and foster dad to many, Mutabasi is a former street kid who has worked for World Vision, Compassion International, and the Red Cross, and has appeared on media outlets such as the BBC and the Today Show. A passionate and popular speaker, he currently lives in Charlotte, North Carolina with his family. I must say that I have been waiting for this interview for some time. Peter speaks with passion in his eyes and kindness in his heart. It's a privilege to call him a friend, to have him been part of my village, and he calls those who support him either from near or far away. And now, let's kick off the conversation with Peter. Welcome, Peter, to the Turning Point podcast. I cannot say how excited I am to have you here. It is definitely an honor. I have read your story many times and, and purchased books for other people. So I am very excited to have you on today uh, at the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm really excited to have I've been looking forward to this as well. So thank you for having me. Well, as I mentioned, I have your book here because we're going to show this on, on YouTube as well. But um, read it. I know your story. I follow your beautiful family online as well. But for the listeners who might not know who Peter Mutabasi is, could you tell us about your story and how you ended up in the U.S. as well? Wow, absolutely. So I'm originally from Uganda, you know, from a small little village at the border of Uganda and Rwanda. And I, I grew up in a life where uh, it's sometimes it's really difficult to explain to an American, like think about like there was nothing to look up for. There was nothing to say, I want to see tomorrow because everyone around you is as poor as you. So there's no one above you to say, I want to be like the next family. You're all poor. All the kids, you go fetch water three miles away. You know, you all look for firewood to cook. You all don't get everyday food. You all don't have shoes. You all don't go to school. So there wasn't really a glimpse of hope. But also, you know, in a place where we, we grew up, you know, most children died before the age of two, you know, so I didn't have a name until the age of two. So you can imagine that, you know, a mom would not name their children because they're afraid they won't make it at two. And that's the right. background that I had as a kid. So for me, as a kid, you know, you, you think the world revolves around your village, you know, that's all you see, you know, and then I began to visit other families and I go to see how their dads were acting that was different from my dad. That my dad was just so mean, abusive in every shape form you could imagine. That in my entire life, I had never had one kind word from my dad. You know, you know, like kids, how we do things to please our dads. That for me, I did all that, but I never had one kind word. It was always, Peter, you're garbage. Peter, you'll never mount anything. Peter, you're stupid. Peter, I wish you were never born so I did not have to feed you. So as a kid, you hear that. It's almost like, wh why should I even leave, you know? And then I had a mother who loved me, but she was receiving the same abuse as I was getting. And sometimes my needs put her life in jeopardy as well. So for example, if we didn't have clothes that were all in tatters, if she went to my dad and said, hey, the kids are literally 
barely naked, you know? She got the beating for that. So most time you knew your needs were, were really harming your, your mom in, in a sense. And that also brought guilty as well. Like, I wish I wasn't here so my mother didn't have to go through that, you know? At the age of 10, I was like, look, my father is going to kill me. So why give him an opportunity? So I had never been 20 miles away. And I got on the bus and I went 500 kilometers away. And I wasn't going to look for hope or for something better. For me, it was more, I would rather die but I die in the hands of a stranger than my own father. But also I hated him so much that I never want him to see my dead body. Like I would rather be, I don't know, thrown somewhere eaten by vultures than my own father bury me. So that was the intent of running away. It wasn't like I was looking for a future. It was more of if my life is to end, it'd rather be in someone else's hands, you know? So I made it to Kampala. Kampala is the capital city of Uganda. And I became a street kid. And that became my life, you know, right away. You know, I learned to steal. I learned to make friends with other street kids. We learned to live in the sewer. We lived in the sewer because it smelled so bad. So other human beings who were not street people, they didn't come there, only came there to throw the trash. And that's how we'd find food. But also it was a safer place for us to be as well. You know, so that became my life for five years as a street kid, just living on the streets and surviving every day. And yes, the abuse was a hundred times than what I had home, but it was different because I was being abused by people who did not know me, you know? Right. So so I felt like they had a right to, to abuse me in some way. Like you can do whatever you want to do anyway. I don't belong anywhere. I am, I'm just garbage. I'm just a I'm just no one. Uh, but also people took advantage of us. For cheap labor, they would ask us to help them. But also sometimes they would give us food for favor of something else. So for me, even I understood kindness in a negative way. Right. You know, for everyone who was kind, you knew it followed with abuse after. So for me, Kindness meant danger. You know, if someone was kind to you, you, you got what you want, but you waited for the bad part to happen later. And so that was my life for five years. And then one day, one day I was trying to steal from someone, you know, we kind of knew who we can steal from. We knew where, what car they drives or we knew how they are dressed and we knew this person can afford food. So I'm going to steal from what I'm helping him. It wasn't that would steal money. Most people didn't make a dollar. So we would follow and help while carrying their food, but take a little bit of their food. That's the way we kind of got used in some way. So I followed him, he bought, he bought food. And I, before I could take it, I, he's like, you know, I'm like, hey, can I take your food? He's like, please put my food down, you know? And then he followed by saying, what is your name? You know? And that really shook me and rattled me because for five years, no human being had ever asked me, what's your name? So for me, Hearing someone ask my name, it was more of run for your life, run, you know. So I put it down and then later he told me to carry it. And before I could take anything from him, he gave me something to eat. You know, he was kind. But that kindness meant run for your life. So I put things down. I got the food he gave me and I ran, took off because I thought he's going to hurt me after. So the next week I get to see him again. He gives me food again. The next, the fourth week, I kind of knew like, oh, this guy is strange. He hasn't asked me anything after 
feeling me. He hasn't called me names that everyone calls me. Something's weird about him, you know? <laughs> and so he fed me for one year, and I, uh, one year and a half. And one day he said, hey, Peter, if you had an opportunity to go to school, would you love to go to school? And I'm like, no, I'm a street kid, garbage, nobody. That My dad told me I'll never mount anything every day. And that's my life. I smell like one. I look like one. But there's no future for me. No school, you know? So he he left. But next time he changed his language, he said, hey, if you go to school, there'll be lunch, dinner, and breakfast. That's all I had. Food? And, 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 and you know, we tried to, to help here uh, people in the United States that to offer something to someone when you haven't met their physical needs, it, it's useless, you know? So right. for him, he knew food is the one thing I... I lived for, so that's what he offered me. And so I went to school for the food, not because I wanted to be a teacher, not because I loved school, no, food. And so I got there. So now my life changed because, because I wanted food. So that meant if I steal or I wanted to steal, I would say, if I steal, I'm going to miss out on the meal. You know, if I hit someone, I'm going to miss out on the meal. So the meal helped me to not do what I was used to because I wanted to keep getting food in some way. You know? And yeah. that really, that's really what helped me do well in school because it was for food. And I realized that I was smarter than that. And, you know, after being in school for six months, he brought me to his home. So now I knew uh, a place. I, I I saw a place where a dad loves their kids. A dad who's kind of, I was like, man, I want to be like him, you know? And so I finished high school. I went to university in Uganda and I went to university in England. And that's how I came to the United States. Through the kindness of a stranger who just offered a street kid food. And that act of kindness just made a ripple effect for more acts of kindness because that's how you ended up also going to England, right? And how you ended up in the States is through all these acts of kindness. And I have to say my favorite part of your story is how you took adversity and are now using it to pay it forward to other people as well, especially to children in the foster care, which I think if you talk to any American, they understand what foster care is, but they don't really, I'm a, I'm a foster parent and um, well, it's different in New Jersey, but I was going to ask you about the differences because every state is different and right. you know this, right? So I think people understand like a foundational level, what foster care is, but they don't really understand what it really takes right. to take a child that's been moved around home who sometimes have things in garbage bags and then sometimes we've we, I had a little boy one time who had every single toy that he probably had throughout his entire because he was like 10 and he had been moved since he was like four mm -hmm. so he had kept every single toy since he was like four up until 10 and you can't get rid of those things because no. for this is this is all they have and it has emotional value but it also reminds them of that time when they were in other people's homes mm -hmm. who made a difference for them right. and so these are the things that i think people don't really understand and then all the other like political stuff that goes into foster care because every state is different and so i look at you when you have the opportunity to bring children to the home we've been doing this for like four years and we've had mm. two mm. in four years and so i'm like you all want us to open the home and have all these homes open, but where are all these children right. that, that need help? And so sometimes what ends up happening is that people that want to get the money end up taking all these kids mm -hmm. into their home. And then 
people like us that we have the room, we have the heart, we want to do it to help these children. We don't care about anything related to the money. We don't have the opportunity to actually make a difference. And so I even think I wanted to get your your opinion on that as a two foster parents talking. Like, what do you think of that? Mm. Well, here in North Carolina, it's a little bit different. You know, they're overwhelmed by the number of children in foster care. I mean, just North Carolina, they have 17,000 kids. Wow. You know, 17,000. And, and, and some are in kinship, but 12,000 are actually in foster care. So you have kids who are sleeping in offices, sleeping in group homes, sleeping in places because they have no place to be, you know? So it's a little bit different because I get phone calls every day. They know I'm already maxed out, but I still get a phone call. Hey, Peter, do you have a bed? How many kids do you have now for folks that might not know? Right now I have six, you know? And your adopted son. So it's six with Anthony. Yes. You know, no, six Six foster kids and Anthony number and, seven. And Anthony seven. Okay, so you're at seven. Yeah, you're at capacity. And then two pups and Simba and Rafiki. We can't forget them too. Yes, and have two dogs. <laughs> you know, but you but but I you understand that once you become a foster parent, the the need, the things you get to know about kids can be overwhelming as well you know and 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 some people you're right some people just think we go to the room and pick up a child like yeah you come to my home you know you know like no we get phone calls in the middle of the night we get phone calls when parents are the police we get phone calls from the hospital we get phone calls from all over the place uh that that sometimes it's it can be overwhelming you know uh that but also like the scrutinies we go through, like it's, you just don't get a child anyhow. Like you, you you have to really, yeah. you know, go through scrutiny. But also for me, I cannot take kids level one and level two. So that means there are some that need more help as a single parent that I cannot take um, because right. I don't have I don't have that much of you know people to help me when you have a child who needs medication or needs more of parental care. Uh, that you have to do so you're right you know most people don't really have a, a clue of what goes in 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 being a false parent and well in the training the everyone just comes into your house <laughs> the questions the I think uh, CPR training now is a thing in New Jersey that we also have to do um, and then the kid comes with their own team right like yeah. the nurse and the um, therapist and sometimes they have two therapists correct and, and know I know all of this and we've only had two I'm always like, when are we going to get more kids? And so, and we signed up for everything, for the emergency call, for the respite, and to take kids as well, you know, that, that end up being fostered by us for a longer time. Right. And and so, yeah, people people don't understand. And sometimes I think, like, even biological parents, and I'm not talking biological parents that are involved with the foster care system. I'm talking, like, my own siblings. Right. Like, you all should take these trainings because they are so it really shows you how trauma really like unfolds in a kid's life. And right. even though as you're, you're trying to be the best parent that you can, other factors are going to affect them. Like going to school and something happens in school, that's going to create trauma. Or a friend did something that's going to create trauma. And so I think one thing that I really struggled as well is when you have your own trauma and you have a child that has so much trauma, mm-hmm. how, do you, how have you learned you know, with all of your story and everything that you've been through, how did you learn to like unpack your own trauma to make space for this child that comes with their own? 
Right. You know, I think for me, first, the training, especially on the trauma side, I took it for my own. Like I never used it like, oh, I'm going to help a kid with trauma A2 and 2, but I rather used it for my own self to understand my own trauma, you know, that I had to deal with that before I could deal with my kids. Right. You know, of course, there are some traumas that I don't know until the child comes and pushes that button. And then you're like, wow, I had no idea I have that issue, you know, but I think I needed to understand my own journey in order to not mix it with the kids or when the kids come and push that button to know how to not involve the child in my feelings or my trauma but how to deal them separate from being a parent you know and that really has been helpful for me you know and learning the trauma of each specific child you know to make sure that you know I cannot see them all oh you have trauma so I'm going to deal with you this way but to rather look at every child with their own trauma and understanding that way and remove myself from it. You know, when my kids are yelling and putting walls in my wall to know like, hey, they're not, they're not trying to hurt me, but there's something going on among themselves or themselves that they need help. So for me to remove myself rather than bring my feelings into, but rather to put them aside, you know? And of course, we all gone through trauma. It doesn't mean it goes away, but for me to know when that red flag is up to know like okay peter no 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 no, don't don't go there because that that's not who you are uh that has helped me really be there for for, for my kids you know and by really taking it personal to learn who they are i promise i have a good reason for the quick interruption as the years have passed i have redesigned the podcast along with all the work around it the Turning Point Podcast is a place for people from all walks of life to come and share their life lessons as we break those down to see what turning points had the most impact on their lives. Mostly, we discuss life, ambition, purpose, mental health, and the sweet balance between it all. My upcoming book, A Renegade's Journey to Stillness, is a memoir, a personal growth journey that invites you on this ride as a passenger. As I wrote my book, I understood how powerful words can be, which brings me to the project I have been working on for some time. Your truth, your voice. The mission of this project is to help people find their truth and their voice in life. Once we're able to do that, we open a world of possibilities to feel empowered to create the life that we want. We can not only learn how to use our voice to live our truth for ourselves, but to advocate for those who don't have a voice, for those who need our help the most. Through this project, I help people find their truth and their voice for themselves, who can then pay it forward and make a difference in the world by giving to others. Peter's organization is listed at the bottom of the page if you would like to help him help children that need our help. All the links will be on the description of this episode. And now, let's return to our conversation with Peter. Who they are, what, 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 what? what makes them tick and what causes their behaviors because for me most of it is really what I went through so I most of when I see my kids for example I'll give you stealing when they steal things I, I that was my everyday life you know right. so for me to revisit myself and say why did I do that like what was the cause for me to want to do that and be able to uh, articulate and use it towards my kids like hey it's not about food that they want to steal 
But when you went to bed every day, not knowing if there's a next meal, you're keeping some meal for later, right? You know? So mm -hmm. then I knew how to learn how to help them know, like, hey, there's always food for you right here, you know? And so they can overcome that fear of there's no food tomorrow uh, by knowing and understanding the triggers for that. Yeah. And going back to the training, I think, I think every, every state has different trainings. I think there's like the pride and I think there's another one called map. And I think depending on what state you are is what training you take. And so we had to redo the training. So we got a new trainer and there was this one exercise because the first time I did the, the class, I didn't do it like you were saying, like I'm doing this class for me, not to, I was doing it to educate myself, to learn how to deal with the children. Cause I didn't, it never crossed my mind about my own trauma. Like that never crossed my mind. I was like, mm -hmm. I need to learn how to deal with their own trauma, but that they didn't talk about it in the one class that I did about dealing with your own, unpacking your own trauma before you can be helpful to right. another child. But the second time that I took it, I was already listening to you and following you on YouTube. And I think you had said this at one point in an interview. And so I took the training, really understanding what you were saying. And I was like, I'm going to do this class for me right? To unpack whatever it is. And so they had an exercise where they were like, imagine that you have a thousand dollars and I'm going to read a bunch of questions. Right. And every time one question um, is basically like you were affected by it. Like if you, let's just say you don't feel safe walking into a bathroom in this store in this state, right? So every time you would market, you would have to get rid of a hundred dollars and a hundred dollars. Right. And then she said, um, the trainer said at the end, count how much money you have. And if you're willing to share how much money you have left, then we can all see how different trauma is for everyone. Right. And so I was in there, you know, I'm, I'm gay. There was a straight white man. There was a, you know, a, a black man. So it was, we had very different group. And so towards the end, I had like $300 left, which I was extremely surprised of all the questions, how much trauma mm. I had about, yeah. I had a father who was, very he he passed away in January but he was very abusive as well with his words mm. like I have learning disability so I would hear how stupid I was most mm. likely on a weekly basis right and so that was in the questions and the divorce of parents and all these things and I was like I can't believe and then there was someone else that had $900 left so one question out of all these questions and you really got to understand how trauma affects people differently Right. depending on who you are, even the mm. color of your skin, where yes. you live, all these things. And so this, it really has opened my eyes of when I have a child come into my home, not only do I need to be patient and not take in personal anything that they do, because mm. has, this has nothing to do with me. Right. They're not criticizing me. They're not criticizing my parenting mm. skills or, or my, my personality. It's right. they're dealing with their own trauma. Right. And mm -hmm. it was even, we had a little boy and it was the morning we were trying to get him to get ready to go to school and he had him brush his hair. And I was like, we need to brush your hair. Right. So I got a, uh, a brush and I was brushing his hair and that triggered him. And he ran to the room and through a door. Mm. And in my head at that point, I was like, I don't know what I did. I was just trying to get him. I was starting to take it personal. Right. Mm. And it had nothing to do with me. With and so you. you start, you start. So and for me, and this was one kid. So sometimes I am so impressed by you having so many children because they're all going to have their different trauma. And so how do you manage having so many different children who their drama levels are going to be different and the way that they react are so different? Like, 
how do you keep yourself grounded to deal <laughs> with because it's it's different when it's like I don't know when it's your like biological children you had them since they were babies right you get to know them and you know what but you get this brand new kid in your home and you're already dealing with the trauma of the other kids that you've had for a while like how do you find yourself grounded to manage all of this at the same time. How do you take I, care of yourself? I know. So one thing I've learned is letting children know, like, you know, so I have one soft kid, you know, if you push him, he's just going to crawl in the corner and hide, you know, so teaching my other kids, like, hey, don't do this because he affects the other one in, in a different way, you know? And then because they all have, it's different. So the same for everyone to say, hey, don't, you know, it's really nice to be, to this person because that does not make him feel safe you know i have a teenager sometimes he feels my kids are just too loud or too whatever you know and i'm like you know anthony you know it's not that they are doing one two three two towards to, to be to make you angry but he's what they are going through he's how how you should translate it in some way and that really has helped him to say oh okay you know something else is happening it's not what i'm seeing so trying to teach myself and my kids the outward things they do is not actually what the issue is. The issue is beyond that, you know? So if someone is taking your toy, just don't take it personal. But he he's going through something that he needs. He needs attention and he needs your help and he right. wants you to, to embrace him. So, you know, before you can yell, he's telling my thing, just let's think through, you know, maybe he just wants it for a minute because he's missing his mom, you know? Uh, so things that, really helps them think through rather than you know just take things as as they come and then for me you know therapy is important for every child like all my kids go through therapy and I journey with them as well you know sometimes they go in for 30 minutes and I tell the you know their therapist like can I come for my 10 minutes you know <laughs> you know like just 10 minutes and they're able to help me to understand my kids in, in a way that I would not so journeying with them and willing to learn about them for me that has helped me you know, I, I don't know how I deal with, you know, I exercise, I eat well, you know, and I try to really find time for myself, you know, like right now there are daycare and camp. So I try to do things that are for Peter, go have a coffee, you know, take a good phone call with someone, you know, or do something that I really love to do, go to the gym or run, you know, rather than going to meet every errands, you know, but rather find time for me. You know, I'll rather go to the store with my kids than try to go to the store during that time that is for me. Uh, because that's how I get to learn about what they like to eat. When they go to the store, I like that cereal. I'm like, oh, why? Because my mom used to get that for me. Then I know, okay, that really is a key that I can really get that cereal to remind him of where it comes from, you know? So for me, that has been really helpful uh, to know my if my cup is full and, and, and ways that make it full in some way. And so how do you also like balance? Because you work. Yes. So is your, do you have a full-time job, I'm assuming? And so how do you balance the responsibilities from like the job and then picking up the kids? Because one guy can't do it all. It no. seems like you do a great job at showing us that you can do it all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you try to do it all. You know, I think, you know, before I became a foster parent, I traveled over the world. I had a job that required me to travel. Once I became a foster parent, I need, wanted a job where I can be my own boss. I can choose the time, you know, I can do it while I'm driving, but also that I didn't have to go in an office uh, or, 
anytime if they call me right now that hey your kid is not feeling well come and pick him up that i'm able to go pick up my child so i first took jobs that would allow me to be truly a full dad you know and be flexible at any time without having to feel guilty about my job that is what has helped me to be a parent yeah and we, well we all need that right when especially when you're doing with you're helping all these kids and so I think another thing, and I wanted to ask you about this, is how important are support groups? Yeah. Like, who's who's your tribe? And so if there's anyone that's thinking of becoming a foster parent or already is a foster parent that's listening, like, what is your advice in trying to find support groups? Because I think we've moved into virtual support groups, which I think they're great, but there's something to be said about the social interaction yes. in person mm-hmm. with another foster parent. Where wow. like you might be sharing a story and you just like broke down and someone you just needed a hug from another force like it, that really makes a difference. So, what is your advice? How have you found groups where you can just go and and also have that support as well? Yes, I would advise get support that is not your family. I agree. I, I must <laughs> <That's>, agree. <laughs> that's my thing. Find support that is not your family, but also support that understands trauma. That you can leave, you go hang out with your kids and they'll go in there, whatever they do. And you don't have to feel guilty. Like, yep, those are my kids. And everyone around would understand that, yep, those are our kids. You know, that's for me what I found really helpful. And being vulnerable, you know, uh, as a male, I think it's hard for me too, you know. But I've learned to just call another friend and say, hey, you have to have coffee with me. I don't care what time, but it has to be between now and tomorrow. Okay. And they're like, <laughs> okay, all right, sure. But but I've taken that initiative to truly go search for it. You know, I go to care group. There are all these single people. I'm like, look, you're coming home. You're taking my teenagers to video games. Okay. And that's it. And they found out like, oh, hanging out with your kids is the greatest being uh, mentors to your kids. I'm like, yeah, that's all it takes. Just video games. And it's been wonderful to involve those around me to take care of my kids but I've come to learn to say my needs. Like I need help here, you know, and be vulnerable. I have a daughter, you know, but trying to find other females say, hey, my daughter wants a, a day when it's just girl time. Could you take my yes. daughter with you? You know, That's and a that, point. yes, and that has really helped. And the reason why I'm saying don't go to your family is this, this I'm being honest. My family loves me so, so much. If they get to know the details and the trauma my kids go through, they're going to protect me first. That I have a feeling they're going to have a, not, a bad attitude towards my kids because of the trauma they go through that sometimes is directed towards me. Does that make sense? So seeing that, yeah. seeing, seeing that, often sometimes they're like, those kids are just not nice to you or they're just taking advantage of you. To avoid that, either you have your family, but you don't tell them all the details, or you have them at a specific time you need. But as a foster parents, I think it's hard when we include our family because they get to really see much of the details that that will cause them to want to protect us as the parents. Like, you don't have to do that. But I'm like, well, I love my kid. This is what I sign up for, and I understand where they're coming from. So you have to be careful bring in your family. If they are, if they don't understand, it, it's going to really create a wedge between your kids and them. 
No? Uh, and, and not a lot of people understand. And I think there's something to be said about giving because, you know, being kind is one thing, but giving is something else. And there's like scientific proof that like your narrow pathways mm. get enhanced too when you're giving. That's why we have, we have such big hearts and we end up giving, but it's also like good for us. Right. It's like good mm -hmm. for our health to give. Yeah. So I think it, it takes a level of like self-awareness and emotional intelligence to understand that we want to make an impact, but in making an impact, giving makes us feel good. We're making a difference in the world. Absolutely. You know, and, 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 and even, even to know that for us as foster parents, like it's a two way, it's not like a one way, like my kid, I'm not just doing a favor for my kids, that they are teaching right. me things about myself as well. I mean, I didn't know what loving and conditional was until I became a foster parent. You know, I didn't even know my faith at all until I became a foster parent. I didn't know what neighbor a neighbor is until I became a foster parent because my kids love to go hang out with my neighbors and I have learned to embrace and learn about my neighbors, something I didn't do before. You know, I know every neighbor, 20 houses on this side and 20 houses this way. <laughs> Why? Because my kids bike, they do their scooters around. But I want to know when they are around that they can protect my kid. They know my kids as well. You know, I've learned how to 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 love unconditional. They are bio parents. You know, sometimes they can really be nasty towards us as foster parents. But I've learned how to truly love on the bio parents, you know, to not judge, but truly be a resource to their kids. You know, I have, I break rules. My kids are supposed to have, I think, 15 minutes phone call every week. Me, it can be any time because when I feel this, when I feel there's a milestone and something the parents should know, I call and I say, hey, do you want to know what your son did today? It was really awesome. And in that way, I build a rapport between me and them to know that I'm not there to take their kids, but I'm there to shepherd them so they can have their kids back. Yeah, and that is really important. And so how do you navigate? Because I would imagine that some kids have the ability to talk to their parents and some don't. And that's also part of like, being a foster parent, you know this. So how do you, if parental rights have been terminated or visits have been paused, how do you manage when one kid can talk to the parent and the other kid can't? <laughs> oh, that's the hardest. That is probably the most hardest to watch someone else say, daddy, daddy, mommy, and the other one can't. So the way I've done it is sometimes I prefer they talk to their parents when the others are not there. Yes. You know, that's one way. The other way is I have found ways on how I can have one relative for my kid that they can talk to. So it doesn't have to be a mom, but it can be an uncle or grandma, you know? So while they make a phone call, they can also make a phone call another day to that person. Does it make sense? So yeah. they feel they're doing the same, you know? Uh, though they are not, again, though they are not talking to mom and dad, but um, I have someone in their life that they know that they can make a phone call to. Yes, that's really smart. That's really important. Yeah, because I think for them, it's not necessary. It's important, of course, their mom and their dad. Right. But I think it's also having someone in their family that they can talk to and call right. so that right. they don't feel like they're different from their foster from sibling. Them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. absolutely. And yeah. so and, and even I, I, I even have this scenario. I have I'll be honest, I have three siblings two can't see or talk to mom, but the little one can. Oh. So think about that scenario. It's even harder 
than the other because and so does the little one get visit or is it phone calls too oh so it's no, everything got the visit wow Just tell me how do you how do you tell the other two like hey um your mom and dad don't want to see you but they want to see your other little sister like how do you how do you balance that you balance that so we wow. I, i made a deal with a with a social worker that they always take the kids during the time when my kids are at school or at day you know somewhere at camp so they never really have to see that you know they don't see their little sister going to visit the parents because they just they don't see that because i don't want to make them feel why her and not us. so that is what we call false care complicated and complicated in every way shape form but we try to make it work as a false parents yeah and i wanted to go back a bit to your story and your families do you do you speak to your parents and and your siblings like uh, do you still have a relationship with with them in, in some way yes so once this man took me to school and really began to see the value of education i wanted i could never take my siblings away from my family and i'm the oldest of the five but i wanted them to have the same hope i had been given so i persuaded them like hey you stay in school i'll help you but i loved my mom as well like i wanted to go back and show her the pride of what she did and how she cared for us but somehow i managed to to survive for my dad i kind of wanted to give him the middle finger if i may be honest <laughs> it, it was more like you wish the worst for me but guess what it's not really what turned out like i and the only way i could do it was to go back but two i got to the point where i i hated my father so so much that i this I don't know I just didn't know how to forgive this guy but I realized that me not forgiving my father was him winning so it was like man this anger I have towards my father is really letting him win like and I don't want to do that so I really moved forward to wanting to visit and talk to him to forgive him for my sake not for him but for my sake that I didn't want my future to be ruined but the hatred i had towards my father and so knowing about him and letting him kind of know that was really helpful for me to pursue my siblings and my mom as well and that has really been wonderful yeah and i totally agree with you when when we forgive is more for ourselves right because i've gone through the same thing with my father as well and it's if i don't forgive this keeps coming back Right. I right. might be working and someone said something that reminded me of something that he said to me and forget it. I spiral. I'm like, why are, like, why are you attacking me? I, and this person at work has nothing to do with what happened yep. to me. Yes. It's just mm -hmm. whatever they said, pushed the button that made me travel back in time to how right. I felt right. when that was said to you. Right. And so why I, that's why I think it's important. And I, and I wanted to talk a lot about unpacking trauma because it's not only for yourself, but then for those that you're helping, if you're a foster parent for work, for friendships, and, and it keeps kind of like expanding outside of you more and more, if we don't deal with that, right. how we can really unfold in your life and really hold you back from the things that you really want to do. Right. The, I mean, the anger for us as sportsmen, the anger we can easily have towards bio parents. I mean, I love my kid. They're not mine, you know, but I love them. But to know that there's a parent there that don't call i have to call them you know don't show up on visits to learn how to make sure that i don't i don't bring my own feelings towards these parents but also knowing that it's going to affect their kids as well you know 
the words they use, the attitude I have towards their parents, that these kids love their parents no matter what they do. And for me to love on them and give them the best I can is learning how to truly unpack trauma. As you said, like it keeps expanding. So you're not yeah. dealing with the kids, uh, there's their parents. And then there's social workers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, some social workers I work with, they're like, you know, they've never been, they've never had children. They are in their twenties and they're telling me what I should do. And I'm like, wait, have you, have you, have you ever had a child? You know, have you ever <laughs> stayed with my foster kid for a day? No, you know, but to learn how to make sure that, that does not affect me and doesn't get in the way for me to be a good parent to this kid. Yeah. And I had one more, I have so many questions about foster care, but I think this is, this is like your niche. This is like your subject that you know so much about as well. So I think there's a lot of people that are scared of taking teenagers into into their homes because of people just share like, I don't know, stories. And so I think that gets into people's heads. But there's so many teenagers that sometimes you watch videos because they'll record their stories and things like that. And all they want is a home. All they want yes. is a family. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the times they're going to age out and then they're going to be thrown in this, you know, difficult, complicated world on their own. Mm -hmm. And so they're they're really scared. Right. How what would you tell people to to make them reconsider? Because you've had teenagers in yes. your home. Mm -hmm. I, I they're mean, hilarious too because those funny, are the right? videos that that i watch <laughs> and i'm just like laughing with the two of them when you had uh side right absolutely right? yes to me they're my favorite teenagers like and, and one thing i had to learn was when you become a parent to foster kids who are teenagers you have to be you have to to be at the age of i'm their parent but really i'm more a mentor you know when you understand those lines it's really helpful because they've, I mean, they're grown, so they understand what a mentor, but also they understand what a parent is. And I think for me, I've tried to fuse the two. When am I a mentor and when am I a parent? And to make sure that I know those. And that has really helped me to know sometimes they don't need a solution. They just need someone to talk to. And there's nothing, even when the news are so bad, there's nothing I can do but to just listen, you know? And that's when I become a mentor, when I can listen and not judge and just let them share whatever they said. The other part is they're just fun. Like I, they dress themselves, they know what to eat. I mean, like they're the easiest. I have an 18 month baby and I have a, two teenagers. They're the easiest, you know, that they really have a, you know, they have their personalities. And most of the time, like they're really looking for someone to love them as who they are. As no change, just to love the them most as important. Yes. Come as so, you are. Yes, show them the ropes, you know, uh, show, hey, here's how, if you want to ever want to live on your own, here's how you do your laundry, you know, here's a year prepare, here's how I pay bills, you, you know, that they get to really see, but without always having to say, you have to behave this way. I have this kid for 15 years. Well, I never had this kid for 15 years. How do I begin to say, well, live this way, you know? And for teens, they like when you're the example. When you when you be when you model what you want them to be, I find like that's the the simple the simple way of parenting teenagers. But they are fun. They they are loving, and when they really get it, they really get it. You know, and sometimes it takes them a while, but when they do, they really know you love them and you value them. And sometimes we don't really get to see it, but I I can say. If there's anyone they can call when there's trouble, when they're fun, it's me. And for me, that shows that 
this trust, but this love, knowing that I care for them that much. And I think the key with them is, and this happens with adults, is building trust. Yes. Like, you know, what can you do to build trust? How can you show them that, yes, I'm here and I'll right. give you advice and I'll mentor you, but I'll also give you the space to be you and to grow and Absolutely. to kind of like fall and learn how life works on your own without me being there telling you everything. Absolutely. I'll pick you up when you fall, but Absolutely. I want you to figure out life on your own. Absolutely. And also to know that you, you what's, what's the best way can I say it? You have to earn their trust. Like just because they are living in your home, just because you're their legal parent, you you don't, they don't owe you trust. Does it make sense? Like you yeah. have to earn it. Like you have, you to, have to earn it, you know? And and that was me. For me, this man, when he fed me, I mean, yeah, I I, I knew he was gonna do bad because I never trusted anyone who was kind, you know? But with time, I realized like, wait, he he really cares, you know? But it took a year and a half for me to believe so, you know? Had he offered me school after feeding me three times? No, there's no way. But he earned it by showing me. He showed up all the time. He never called me names. He offered food with no reason, but he always did it. So when Ken to go to say, would you like to go to school? There was a part of me where I was scared, but there's a part of me where I said, you know what? He's proven it for one year and a half. I think I can go for one day and check it out. You know, the same with our teenagers that we have to truly believe who they are, but also know that we're not doing them a favor. That's the thing, the attitude sometimes we have towards them. I'm doing this for you. Why can't you do this for me? Like, no, you know, but to know that, hey, I'm going to love you as who you were with your personality, you with whatever you want to do and love you as who you were. And along the way, they'll see it. They, they will see it and they will, they will love you for that. Yeah. And, and I've tried to ask questions about your story, but I don't want to ask too much because I want people to actually buy your book because it's <laughs> such a good story. But there's one part of the book where I think it was, it was a big turning point for you. I think you were with James and you were sitting in the back. And he kept asking you to sit in the front right? And, mm -hmm. and you, and you, and you kept going back and forth. And he's like, but you're a family, like you belong right. here. Right. And I think that was probably such an important turning point in your life as, as a kid, finally being like, look, I belong somewhere. Everyone right. has told me that I don't belong anywhere and that I'm not worth this or I'm not worth that. I think that was for me when I read it, believe me, I've read it many times, but when I read it, I was like, this is probably where your confidence started to shine. And where you really started to maybe find your footing in the person that you wanted to be and become. Right, right. You know, and in Africa, you know, not everyone has owns cars. And by then, there were a few people who had cars. And we know how they sit in a car. The, the, the husband drives, the wife sits next, and the kids in between, and the rest of us in the back. So for when the wife wasn't there and he said, could you sit in the place of my wife? I said, no because I didn't feel I deserved to sit there. Like that wasn't my place. But he looked in my eyes and said, no, Peter, you you belong, you're special and you, you can sit there. And I mean, to this day, I can still remember how he said it, what I was wearing and how I was standing. Like literally I can still remember and it's been more than 30 years because of what he said. And that really changed everything about me. You know, even my kids, I'll give you an example. My teenager, I wanted to surprise him by giving him a driver's uh, aid, you know? So I sent someone to take him for driving. So I told him, I said, Zay, you know, just today, don't come home. Just be at this place. Someone's going to pick you up. And he said, for what? I said, they're taking you driving. 
And all of a sudden, he just was mad. He's like, how dare you not tell me? Like, don't send them. I don't want to, you know? So I was kind of like, okay. So I drove there to get him because I wanted to talk to him. And I said, say, what, why, why, why were you mad that I sent a driver to teach you how to drive? He's like, I don't, you know? But then I sat with him. I said, say, you're the coolest kid, you know? You're beginning dating. You need to go visit your date. You're about to start working. You know, you, you go work if you can drive. And he looked in my eyes and he said, I said no, because no one had ever done something like me, like, like that for me. So me saying no, was just kind of like, I didn't, I didn't think it was true. Like you could do that for me, you know, but it took me understanding the sabotage. Sometimes our kids do, we think, oh, they're sabotaging. But when we understand why, why are they sabotaging? Because they've been disappointed a hundred times. And so for me, when they have a power to say no before someone says no, they take it. That's what he said, no. Well, after talk, he went for a drive and he came back. He's like, I'm the best driver ever. And I'm like, well. <laughs> it's been one class. <laughs> it's been one class. But but you can see how it how long it took him to believe someone can do that for him. You know, and I'd, I mean, I've had him for two years, but he still could not believe, you know, that someone would give time and money to take him driving and that's what that man did for me like how you know sitting in my sit in the place of my of my work that I did not feel I deserved and that day I felt like I deserved it and it's all that it took for me to believe that everything he said was true about me and what he did for you has had a ripple effect in so many people it's it's right. amazing right because he changed your life you helped your siblings you've helped how many kids at this point you fostered I'm at 34 34 so many lives have been like, you know, by this ripple effect of kindness that he did to you have been, now they have this, this, you know, amazing foster parent that has made a difference in their lives just because James he made did. that, that change, that difference for you. Right. And the, and the other part he did more to the postgate is he showed me what a father looks like. I didn't have an example of a good dad, you know? So for me, he became an idol. But I, you know, when people say, you're amazing dad, I'm like, well, he was amazing dad because he's the one who taught me what a father looks like. You know, the father I knew was beats his wife, calls their children names in every way, shape, form. That's, that's like the only example I had. So for him being a good dad and kind is what really has helped me be a good father because I glean on what I saw him do, you know? And, and I love what you're doing as well. Like sometimes our kids will learn how we, how we do things every day, you know, but they are watching. They're like, I just love my mom. I get to see what she does, you know, and, and you have no clue of, of the things you're teaching your little ones by just being you. Right. That's so true. And so I wanted to ask you, what does the future hold for you? Like, I know that you want to continue fostering children and possibly adopt them if there's an opportunity to adopt some, but what do you envision? Where do you, where do you see Peter in like 10, 15 years? You know, like I want to be a full-time advocate for children. Like I truly love uh, being a dad, but also I see the need in the false care. And there's few men in the false care, yep. but I think I would like to use my small little platform to encourage others, especially men. You know, I don't need to be a dad to all kids. These kids need, they ought to have their dads take care of them. And if I can inspire a dad to say, 
look, I, I don't know where my child is for the last two years. By listening to you, I'm going to go back and seek my child. You know, that is my whole goal. But also too, like, I would like to adapt like 15 kids, you know? <laughs> so, so that is my whole goal. Like, bigger house, bigger car, and more kids. Like if I can do that, that would truly uh, help me. I'm in the process of adapting my, you know, my two kids and it's exciting. So I would like to add more and more and help especially teenagers i don't know there's this thing about teenagers that i just want to be part of in so many ways you're gonna need to buy a school bus yes i i'll take it <laughs> i'll take it someone donate a school bus <laughs> please 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 and so i've and i i've written my own book i'm in the process of writing my own book about my own story and and basically also like how i got to where i am and why giving and making an impact in, in other people's lives is important. And so even through writing my my book, I learned how powerful words are. Mm -hmm. And then learning about your story and and reading this and watching the videos that I ended up creating. It's like a project, but it's called yourtruthyourvoice.com. And mm. in there, I'm trying to teach people why your voice and living your truth is important for yeah. yourself, but to help others. But in there, I also have my favorite organization. So I'm calling a lot of attention to your organization to have people visit your site and donate and help in any way that they can, because I really think that the work that you're doing, it is extremely fantastic. And I can, can't say enough great things about it. <laughs> but you as well, like, I just love your passion and, and using what, what you have to change, to change life. Like I, I love people say, well, I didn't have a good childhood. I don't think I can be a good dad. I think you and I are example of that. Like we have empathy because we walk that journey, yes. you know? And for me to watch you be an amazing mom is cool. You know that I hope you get to have five kids one time. <laughs> Hopefully we move from the two that we have two yes, more. Yes, we two. You have two more, you know. But I know, I know you're going to change lives and I know you're going to inspire others as well. You know, and, and I'm really grateful to know you and you you inspire me. I, I just, I love your consistency and not giving up. It's, it's really awesome in, in, in what you do. You know, and I want to be part of your journey as well. You know, anything I can do, I want to be part of that. Thank you. I appreciate it so, so much. I did want to ask, um, as we wrap up, two fun questions that I typically ask. So I'm excited to see what you're going to say. Um, so if you could have dinner with anyone from history, who would it be and why? Oh, I, th <laughs> I think Nelson Mandela. You know? Oh, that's a really good one. Yeah, and that he could endure the pain and, and the hatred towards people, but come out and be the opposite. You know, that he didn't, he didn't revenge that rather he used his past to change lives for others. That's that's what I would love to. That is amazing. I would join you in that dinner. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, you know. If you could go back in time, what piece of advice would you give yourself at 18 years old? Which I think it was a very pivotal time in your life because you had just finished school and you were probably you were going to university at that point. Yes, uh, just finished high school at 18. That it was going to be okay. You know, so... Is the, the way the trauma affects us, even, you know, so once he took me in, now I, my fight was, I thought he would lose, like he, now I understood what success and school meant. So now I was panicking every time I did something wrong that he will kick me out. Does it make sense? Yeah. So like, I wish I told myself like, no, he loves me as who I was because I became tense and I worried because I thought now that I know what I want, he's going to pull the rug around, you know? Yeah. But I think I'll, I'll tell my 18 year old me, it, he's okay, he loves you and you, you, you see how far you've gone. So that's, yeah. that's how I tell myself. 
all the great things that are going to come ahead. Yes. All right. So before we wrap up, I do want to give you the space to share where people can learn more about you, follow your family, um, help with the organization, anything that, that you can share. Where, where can they find you? Oh, well, they can find me in so many ways. <laughs> uh, you know, we have a, a, a charity called Now I'm Known Foundation. And all I do is really help foster parents, especially aging out teens. I do room makeovers for teens. I want them to have the best remake ever they can have. That's where you can find us, but also where you can donate so we can help more teens and more parents who want to be forced parents. You can also go there, buy my book. You can buy my book on Amazon, anywhere. It's called Now I'm Known, absolutely. <laughs> uh, anywhere. On Instagram, Foster Dad Flipper, uh, and, on, and on Facebook as well. You know, uh, So those are places you can go and journey. Like if you're even asking, how do how would I force it? You know, go to my YouTube, it's Now I'm Known, and see my kids and see how we do day-to-day life. Uh, that would expose you to a little inside of what what really that that means and you know so thank you well peter thank you so much for having this wonderful conversation we've been talking for almost an hour so the time has just like flown by but it has been a pleasure to speak with you and just and really an honor to just know you now and and you know and be able to call you another foster parent and and you know and keep learning together as you go through that journey of just keep bringing more kids into your home well thank you for believing i mean you you, you inspire me so I'm grateful for what you do. You're my village. So I am grateful to have you in my village for sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. The first time I read Peter's book, I felt inspired by his passion, purpose, and kindness. That even through all his adversity, he managed to find a way to make a positive impact in children's lives and the world around him. I hope this conversation encouraged you all to reflect and ask yourself, how can you make an impact in others' lives, in the world around you? As Maya Angelou said, try to be a rainbow in someone else's cloud. But for now, peace out and see you next time.